the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. The Nick D Podcast, episode 92 on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Thank you so much for subscribing and for listening. And please listen to all of the other amazing podcasts here at RadioMisfits.com. And please take the time to rate and review us all on every platform. Hey, you want to be a sponsor of the Nick D Podcast? We would love to have you advertise with us. Sales at RadioMisfits.com. Want to be a part of the Nick D Podcast? Leave your voicemail message 24-7-773-417-6948. You can also leave your magic megaphone messages that you would like to hear me say and, and uh, translate into the magic megaphone. 773-417-6948. Drop us an email, nickdpodcast at gmail.com. Any thoughts, any contributions, anything along those lines. Hey, um, I, uh, a, a new podcast has been announced that I will be hosting. More details to come. It's a, it's a podcast about Saturday Night Live called That Show Hasn't Been Funny in Years. It launches in January right here on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. So excited about that. That's coming up in the new year. Uh, and uh, also coming up, uh, Eric Childress and Steve Procopi here. A lot of big movies are opening for the holidays uh, starting this week. So we've got a bunch of movies to review, lots to get to. Esmeralda Leon, we're going to do some more Japanese food t- t- taste testing. we get some magic megaphone message to get to. We're going to talk about food marketing and much more. Lots of stuff happening on the podcast today. Hi, Look. I'm Carrie Russell, and I love Nick's show. I know Hi, you I'm do, Carrie baby. Russell, I know. and I love Nick's show. All right, she loves the show. We all love the show. We've got a lot of movies to review and a lot to get to, so let's get to it. Eric Childress, Steve Procopi, after I say congratulations. Congratulations. You're about to listen to the Nick D Podcast. It's by far the best decision you've made today. It makes the other podcasts seem like crap. Oh yeah, don't be a jackal. That is the uh, movie review theme. Eric Childress, Steve Procopi, join me uh, every other uh, uh, Friday to talk movies. <laughs> and uh, we're getting towards the end of the year, which means, you know, uh, big releases, blockbusters, and mostly uh, awards uh, ceremonies and things are going to start coming in. And best of lists are going to be start, you know, starting to be made and all that cool stuff. So lots to talk about. So let's say hello to Eric Childress. Hello, Eric. Hello, everyone. Oh, hi. Are you there? Can you hear me? Hello. I'm here. here. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. All right. Uh, Eric, tell everybody where they can uh, see and hear you and all that stuff. Yeah, uh, I got a couple podcasts on the Now Play Network. Uh, One, the Movie Madness podcast, where we talk movies and Blu-rays with uh, Steve Procopi. And uh, we also uh, have the Friendship Dilemma that I do with Morgan Geyer, where we look at films talking about uh, male and female friendships in the movies. Okay. 
All right. And the other uh, uh, critic here is Steve Procopi. Hello, Steve. Hello. All right. Tell everybody where they can read and see and hear and all that uh, good stuff. Uh, the printed reviews are at thirdcoastreview.com. Uh, I'm also on, as Eric mentioned, on the Movie Madness podcast every week. And uh, lately I've been spending a hell of a lot of time at the Music Box Theater, more than usual. So, right. All yeah, right. it's been a busy, busy couple weeks. There we go. All right, lots to talk about this week. Uh, you know, obviously this is Thanksgiving weekend which is a big weekend, um, you know, historically and now. Um, things are starting to feel a little bit, Eric, would you say? I mean, in terms of, like, releases and box office, things are kind of getting back to normal. You know, the big releases you know, after a couple of years of shakiness, you know. Yeah, we're talking- I mean, I, I think so. I mean, we're starting to feel the crunch now with uh, just the, as critics with our awards and stuff. So we got a lot of stuff coming at us these next couple of weeks. Uh, but the schedule is not as heavy is not as quite as intensive as it has been in the years past. And I think that that's due to what we've gone through the last couple of years and they kind of spaced things out a bit. So I think next year will be sort of the first kind of full year that we sort of see things right. a bit back to normal pre pandemic levels. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, there was a, there was a period of time when Hollywood was shut down. So yeah. there wasn't any, there wasn't anything yeah. being made unless it was, you know, your low budget, you know, uh, zero budget movies that people were shooting during covid which all yeah. look like they were shot during covid mm-hmm. so uh, that's, yep. so we got that but yeah as far as like the big hollywood releases but there's some big ones that are out this week so let's get right to it because there's a lot to talk about yeah um and uh why don't we start off with glass onion which is the full title is glass onion a knives out mystery so it's obviously a sequel to uh knives out which came out three years ago right around this time um and uh, became a huge success uh and uh, obviously to justify a sequel, and this is it, Glass Onion. So, uh, Steve, why don't you tell us about Glass Onion? Yeah, it's uh, as much as I enjoyed uh, writer-director Ryan Johnson's Knives Out, nothing quite prepared me for how much I laughed during uh, the follow-up mystery-solving adventure of the world's greatest detective, Benoit Blanc, played by Daniel Craig. Uh, Glass Onion peers into the lives of the rich and the influential and the supremely stupid. Um, One of Johnson's goals seems to be very simple, which is to help us to understand Blanc's place in pop culture. He is a known quantity around the world. He has Zoom get-togethers with other greats in their respective fields. Uh, The the cameos in this movie are kind of absurd. And that, that particular Zoom call that I'm talking about is... Weird, because two of the people in it are already dead, which is, yeah. I, I won't say who yeah. they are, but yeah. but it's really weird to see that. But it is their, like, final screen appearances. So anyway, um, and we even learn a little bit about his home life, which is kind of amusing. But um, but when he shows up to an exclusive murder mystery weekend gathering thrown for the closest friends of the billionaire Miles Braun, played by Edward Norton, people are surprised to see him, but don't really question it because they think Miles has just hired him to help with this mystery. Um, just another example of the host reminding them how rich and influential he is, except Miles has no idea why Blanc is there. And that's kind of the jumping off point of Glass Onion. Um, it, it is, it, but it's far from the, the end game, I guess. Um, uh, Miles has indeed invited his oldest pals to the party to investigate his own f- fake death. Uh, among those in attendance are uh, characters played by Catherine Hahn and and uh, Leslie Odom Jr., Kate Hudson, Dave Batista, um, 
Janelle Monet is probably the biggest surprise showing up there just because of the nature of that character's relationship to everybody else at the party. She was burned in a lawsuit about co-ownership of Miles' company. Um, and no one can really figure out why she's there, but she definitely has her reasons. Uh, if I'm being honest, the first, I guess, first chapter of Glass Onion, when we're kind of introduced to all the characters and slash suspects, it wasn't really working for me. Uh, everyone's performances seem a little bit too broad and focused. And, and while the um, Greek island location of Miles Party is very lovely and it looks like Johnson was spending that Netflix money in all the right ways, it, it doesn't really help... Um, it, it took a while like for someone to actually die so we can't even like kick off the investigation that we're all kind of waiting for. But all that kind of turned around for me big time when the, the films, there's like a centerpiece dinner sequence where Blanc solves this mystery of Miles's death before the game has even begun. And he kind of ruins the party and, and, and it kind of brings us to the real point of the film. Um, and that's also where Johnson's true purpose at skewering the rich and burning down all they hold sacred kind of comes to light uh, in ways that I don't want to reveal necessarily. But um, so I, I think, like like, we, like I said, Johnson's kind of in full on burn the rich mode here. And it, I think it suits him. I think Blanc is successful, um, but he's clearly not as rich or powerful as anyone in this group. So even he feels a little out of place and I think he resents them to a certain degree but also feels sorry for them for thinking that wealth means you're smarter and better and more entitled to voice your shaky opinions than everybody else um, everyone has secrets to be ashamed of and that's why they lied at Andy's trial uh, they're all kind of embarrassed for their behavior they all have reasons to want Miles dead um, and um the film, the film kind of captures that awkward part of their existence. Uh, I think Glass Onion is so much more than a whodunit, although that part of the story is still really intriguing and brutally funny sometimes. Um, much like an actual onion, I think when you peel back the layers, uh, you reveal like the tastiest bits. So I think the film is spectacular to look at. Uh, so definitely, I think, try to catch this in a theater while it's in for just one week before it heads over to Netflix on December 23rd. Um, and yeah, I've seen it twice now. So I I I I really love this movie. Okay. Um all right, Eric, glass onion. Yeah, you know, normally I wouldn't comment on the 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 theater experience uh given that this movie is going to be on Netflix uh later in, in in December, but that's how I saw it at the Toronto Film Festival this year. And I I mean, seeing it with an audience who is completely into it is an absolute delight so my advice would be that to just to gather as many people as you possibly can around your netflix queues and watch this with them because this movie is just it, it's just so much fun uh you know i'm i am a mystery junkie i will watch the dumbest half-cocked mysteries uh <laughs> on, on any you know channel or whatever uh and, but and it's, but it's so great to see one that is so layered like this that has a purpose the way that the first knives out did that I a purpose that I was not expecting when I saw the first knives out and that sort of skewer the rich uh, and I, identity and stuff like that and and this one does the same thing it does so could, couldn't be perfectly more perfectly timed by Edward having Edward Norton play this Elon Musk like idiot uh, at, at the center of it all and 
Everyone in this movie is having a blast. I love the, the, the reversals that we get throughout the film. Uh, I think the movie is actually funnier than the first one. Uh, and I think that, I mean, it, it, might be, it, it might be overstuffed, but I don't mind it in this, in this sense. Uh, I, I love the, the excess of it, which might seem ironic given the, the things that he's skewering in it. But I think the movie is actually funnier than the first movie. Uh, I think the, the it's more of a traditional mystery. And even though I kind of, I figured out what was going on as opposed to the, the first one, uh, that didn't diminish my enjoyment of this. So yeah, Glass Onion, I just get the, get everyone around the Netflix queue and, and watch <laughs> it because it is just so much fun. Yeah, I think I saw a different movie than you guys did. You didn't. Um, <laughs> you no, definitely did. <laughs> it's not a good, it's not a good movie. Um, uh, I, I'm I'm fine with the with the first Knives Out. I think it's good, and I um, you know but I I thought the cast kind of carried it. I've I don't I guess one of the main problems one of the main problems I have with it or hurdles I have with it is that the Benoit Blanc character does not do it for me at all. I don't find him funny. I don't find him intriguing. I don't find I don't what Daniel Craig is doing seems to me like caricature one hundred and one. Um, and I don't, so the character, that, so that's your main character. This is the guy we're supposed to think is hilarious and making all these quips and doing all this stuff that, and I just like the, I, I he's not, he's not a character. He's, he's definitely not a Hercule Poirot at all. Like it doesn't, he doesn't fit, fill that role for me at all. So I don't really care about the main character that Daniel Craig plays. I don't find him charming or hilarious as like everybody else does. Uh, and then the rest of the characters in this couldn't possibly care less about them. Um, all of the stereotypical characters to me are obvious and not funny. Kate Hudson can go away as far as I'm concerned. And I'm not talking just about the fact that she plays an idiot who's annoying. I'm saying that her performance is incredibly like nails on a chalkboard. Uh, the only, uh, and there's a lot of people in this movie that I like. I really like Catherine Hahn. I think she's wasted. Uh, Edward Norton has some moments, um, you know, in the movie, uh, Janelle Monet is the only uh, performance in the movie that I found to be even remotely interesting, and the only character that I found to be any worth any investing my time in at all. I didn't care about any of these people. I didn't care what was going on. I didn't think it was particularly funny. I thought the running gags got very tiresome after a while, like name dropping celebrities, and that's supposed to be funny. And there's a a vodka drink that has uh, uh, what's his ass. Uh, 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 Jordan Catalano, uh, Morbius. Uh, <laughs> Jared Leto. Jared Leto. There's a Jared Leto running gag in it that's not funny, and there's it just all the, you know. Um, so, no, I mean, yes, and it skewers the rich, and this happens to be at, at a time when we are loaded with rich skewering satires right now, and this one's at the bottom as far as I'm concerned. A movie came out last week called The Menu, which I think is 8,000 times better than this movie and funnier and says more about the culture of the rich. Uh, we had uh, Triangle of uh, Sadness, which I also didn't love, but like more than this. And then on HBO, happens to be like the best sh- show on TV right now. And Mike White is destroying anybody who even attempts this material with the White Lotus. He did it in the first season. He's doing it in the second season. And if you've got, you know, you've got the menu that's out there right now, you got White Lotus on HBO, there's no reason to see this movie at all. Um Except for uh, one flashback scene where Edward Norton is wearing a costume from uh, from a movie, I almost pissed myself. And and Eric, you did you did, did vaguely mention 
Yes, that. I did. And I had completely forgotten about it. I didn't, you know what I mean? I'd forgotten that you mentioned that because we talked about it when you were, you know, you were talking about right. Toronto. So this is a couple of months ago. I'm at the screening last week or the week before, whenever we saw it. And when that scene popped up, I thought I was going to fucking pass a stone. I was laughing so hard. And it's out of nowhere. It's like, where the fuck, you know? And then there's like, and then it continues because he dresses up. There are other costumes that he wears during that flashback scene where like he's wearing, <laughs> he's wearing, there's no explanation for it. It's the only, to me, the only time I laughed the entire, seriously, the only time I laughed the entire time at all at anything in the movie was that flashback scene where Edward Norton was dressed up like this, <laughs> this character in one of my favorite movies of all time. So, um, but yeah, no, I, you know, when there's so much better skewer the rich satire to choose from out there right now, this is way on the bottom rung. Um, I thought Knives Out, I thought the original Knives Out was better. Uh, but I don't think these are great, and I clearly don't think this is the best work of Ryan Johnson's career. I think he made, I think his Star Wars movie is better than both of these. So anyway, yeah, yeah I don't know. So, uh, I, I, hey, but the crowd I saw it with, uh, well, you were Steve. That was, I think, your second time was the night yeah, that I yeah. saw it. Uh, that crowd ate it up and loved it, and everybody was happy. I couldn't get the fuck out of the theater quick enough. So um, there you go. All and right. you did. I, I did. I, 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 but well, I bolted because I was it, it for, for a couple of reasons. One, the goddamn thing, the goddamn, if you remember, Steve, it started like 15 uh, minutes late. I don't know if you remember that. I don't remember that. It, yeah. Well, it started 15 <laughs> minutes late. And the goddamn thing, oh, I forgot to mention this. It's way too long. It's like two hours and 20 minutes long. There is no need for this triffly movie to be two hours and 20 minutes long. But yeah, and I and I had had to reschedule a recording for my podcast, and the, uh, and I and I timed it so that I would get home in time. But the goddamn screening started fifteen minutes late, and so that's one of the reasons why I got out of there as fast as I did. Is there a postscript wackiness? No, no, no. I don't okay. think so. No, okay. no, no. There isn't. Okay, all right. Not that I care because I didn't like the movie. But anyway, uh, so I, will, I say I will. I will yeah. add this: seeing it a second time, if you like, when you start to look for the things that that Blanc picks up on it's a totally different movie the second time and i and i i think an even better one which well, i'll just there's, there's throw a key, that out there <laughs> there's a there's a key there's a key moment in the movie that he brings up during the thing that i caught immediately i don't know mm-hmm. what the i mean there's a thing that involves a drink and i'm like well yeah, that, yeah, yeah. that's not it was were we supposed to not catch that was it uh-huh. <laughs> what, was that something we were no we were not supposed to catch is this another you know i don't know anyway i i caught it yeah, of course you did, because the yeah, of course you did, because you're not an idiot. So, um, all right. Anyway, glass on you. No. All right. Uh, oh boy, we're gonna move on to another one here. That, that I'm, I'm probably not gonna have a popular opinion if, on. If you Eric. don't like long movies, if you don't like long movies, this is a bad week for you. But... Um, yeah, no, because every one of them is over. Every uh, the four movies that we're gonna talk about are well over two hours. Yes. Every one of them. Yeah. Well, not yeah. well over two. Yeah. I mean, Bones and All is two ten. Yeah. Um, Devotion is like two two and a half, right? Yeah, two eighteen. Yeah. I think. yeah, and then the Fablemans <laughs> is like seven hours, uh, I think. Um, all right, Eric, tell us about tell us about the Fablemans. Oh, fun show continued. Yeah, <laughs> the Fablemans. Uh, so, for anyone who has followed Steven Spielberg's career, uh, knows that uh, he has. Uh, dealt with a lot of family issues in his movies, and uh, most, you know, very famously, you know, talked about uh, done films on divorce and uh, abandonment and all sorts of things. And if anyone who watched the Spielberg documentary that was on HBO a few years ago uh, learned a few more pieces of the puzzle of Spielberg's past. 
particularly involving his mother and father, uh, who uh, infamously separated when he was a young boy. And The Fablemans is his story. It's basically the Steven Spielberg origin story uh, with him uh, telling uh, the story of his youth when he was a young boy and first taken in the movies by his mother and father, played by Michelle Williams and Paul Dano, uh, and instantly uh, being scared, and exhilarated at the same time with the car crash sequence, uh, train crash sequence in The Greatest Show on Earth, and watching him as a little boy take his train set and recreate it uh, and put it on camera for his family. And as he grows up, uh, his mother is a, uh, a pianist. She's an artist. Uh, his dad works with uh, electronics. And uh, he just begins to focus on the creation of movies himself and as he gets goes through school and begins creating westerns and war films with his uh friends and uh, and family uh you know another bit of the the spielberg uh the piece of the puzzle begins to come into fray there's a family friend uh played by seth rogan uh known as uncle benny uh who may be making some extra time with his mother uh mitzi uh, they have a, a really good friendship that we see on screen. We don't quite see uh, precisely what is going on between them, but uh, the young boy, as he grows up, who later will be played by uh, Gabriel Abel, uh, begins to s- see through the cracks of something that might be going on between his parents and this, this third party. And the movie begins to uh, become about how he uses film to bridge this gap and this understanding uh, and to communicate with his mother and father. And this is the kind of the, the, the thing, the overriding thing that becomes uh, the sort of the intricate part of this young boy's existence. Uh, so this movie, you know, it, 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 any, you know, I get anyone who has followed Spielberg's career as I have uh, pretty intently uh, will recognize uh, a lot of things that have popped up in his movies. I mentioned movies of about divorce and abandonment, the suburbs, uh, war, uh, all of these things that sort of come together and we see little pieces of it here and there throughout the story. And I, I mean, this is, again, this is a story that I think when you watch it, it reminded me a lot of Roger Ebert's very famous speech about film being a machine for empathy. And I, uh, I'm sure Spielberg was a little bit ahead of that game uh, but it's almost like he took that speech and brought it to life with the story, or at least injected parts of it into it, because that's what the story is about. It's about the idea. It's not just a origin story for uh, this, you know, one of the most famous filmmakers of all time, but a story about how we as an audience can use films for understanding other things in our lives that we don't understand, using them to empathize with people in our lives that we're we're not connecting with uh, and communicating with them. Communication has always been a major theme of Spielberg's career, uh, particularly in the science fiction movies. And here there's an extraordinary scene where Sammy pieces together, Sammy Fableman uh, pieces together all of these home movies that he's made and connecting the dots of these very intimate moments between his mother and his uncle and showing it to her in a closet is just, it's just a a moment of such heartbreak and uh, so much feeling in that story. 
uh, in that moment. And uh, I, I've only seen The Fablemans once. I'm very much looking forward to seeing it again. Uh, I don't quite put it up on the, 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 the top tier of Spielberg's work, but uh, anyone who knows my history with this, with this filmmaker knows that I'm not going to have uh, very many negative things to say about it. So The, the Fablemans, um, it, it's really a film, another film that I'm very looking forward to sharing with people, and that's exactly what Spielberg has been trying to do his entire career. So The Fablemans is a great film. All right, Steve. Um, I like your thesis, Eric. I'm not sure this movie is putting it <laughs> to any good use. Um, the because to me that se- that sequence where he pieces together that footage of his mom and his uncle are it's like how to make blackmail material. That's not I, I don't know if that really puts me in a frame of mind of this. This is a good kid who's going to be a great storyteller, and that's the thing. The film. I'm kind of on the fence on this film. The film looks great, and but of course it's going to look great. It's Spielberg. He's using his cinematographer, Janusz Kaminski, and of course, but a film like this needs to do more than just look great. It, I, what I was looking at for out of this movie was to find out what makes this guy tick, and we kind of see him in action as a young filmmaker, but I never really got a sense of what drove him as a storyteller or a visual artist. All he usually says to his, usually it's his dad, is like, I want to make movies. I'm like, okay, that's great. Why do you want to make movies? Like, what... The, the pieces are there in this film, but the dots aren't really ever connected, I think. And um, I like there were certain like the whole opening sequence with the with him going to the greatest show on Earth and seeing that train crash sequence and then trying to recreate it with his own train set that I got more out of that than I did, because that explains it. That explains like he saw something that scared him and he wanted to recreate it so that it didn't scare him anymore. And like, that's, that's a motivation for me. Um, the stuff with the parents, the stuff with the uncle, that's just soap opera. I like, I didn't get anything really out of that. Sometimes the confrontations with his dad, I appreciated. And at the end of the film, when, when Sammy is uh, older and living with his dad, the parents have, have split up. I, I like that just because again, like, the motivation there is just survival at that point. He just wants to work in film. And I, I guess like I, I, I wasn't, I wasn't really getting like that emotional connection to visual storytelling that I really, I, I really felt like this film needed. I mean, this is, if he's going to tell his own story, tell it. Um, we, I didn't need all the, all the extraneous stuff about the parents. Um, and I, I mean, I, honestly, I, I'm sure this is not like the first of many parts of a, like a long term thing that he's going to make more pieces to this story. But I would really like to see the section of of film where the section of his story, I should say, his his biography between where we end up here and like pre Jaws. Like, I want to see that where he's like a journeyman storyteller struggling, working in television, making, you know, and making these other like tiny movies Um I think that would be really interesting because he 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 would still be fighting against the system. He would be like fighting to get his vision out there, and I I'd, I'd love to see him uh, trying to like find that balance between like commerce and art. So, um, but but what what this is, I didn't have any problem sitting through it. I wasn't bored. I wasn't any. But I I I cannot imagine sitting through this anytime soon. Seeing it again. Um, I, I will say, did you all catch the the older, or sorry, the younger sister, the grown up younger sister, was the girl from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the the young actress that DiCaprio has that scene with. 
Um, she's 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 grown up yeah she's grown up a little bit and she has some i really actually the scenes with him and his sisters i also really liked because again like i feel like that's that's the emotional connection i cared about because very often when you have siblings that those are the people you kind of turn to when the parents are like exploding in front of you so um so i like those scenes too so i didn't i I, like i said i'm kind of right up the middle with this one though Okay, well, I'm not up the middle (laughs) at all. I thought it was terrible. Um, And there are times when, you know, uh, because, you know, I run very, very hot and cold on uh, on Spielberg. Um, I mean, and and it's interesting because, like, last year, the movie he made last year made my top ten list. Um, Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, and I've loved a lot of his older, uh, I've loved a lot of his movies, but I think I've loved as many movies of his that I can't stand. Um, and there are times there are some some movies that a lot of people consider, you know, to be great that I think are like, eh, you know, that I don't think are that great. I don't think he is the master filmmaker that everybody thinks he is. I never have and I never will. Um, and I thought what he did with what his his big personal story was to turn it into something we've seen 9000 times before. There's no personality to it. There's no there was to me, there was like no passion. It was like, well, here's this. Here's that. I did this. I did that. Um, and it is as ham-fisted and as manipulative as the worst that Spielberg can be and the worst that the Spielberg-produced movies of the 80s. Those are the ones, that's not necessarily that he directed. There's a lot of movies that he put his name on in the 80s that are just, some of them are unwatchable. And this movie is guilty of all of that ham-fisted, uh, you know, soap opera-like nonsense. I didn't care about anything uh, that was happening. Um I think it's Michelle Williams' worst performance. I think she's terrible in this movie. And uh, I would take her performance in H2O over this. Um, oh, my God. Yeah. I'm leaving. I'm leaving. She's terrible in it. She's terrible. And it's, and it's not, not necessarily her fault. She was directed clearly to play it the way that she did. But the character, like right at the beginning of the movie, the first scene in the goddamn movie they're standing out in front of the theater and you've got paul dano saying well film is the 24 uh, frames and it shines through this and then she's like it's magic it's all magic and that scene is that that sentiment you know is, which is smashed into your face unsubtly in the first two minutes of the movie is repeatedly slammed into you every scene that involves the mother and father and then she's flighty and she likes to play the piano and he's like well i have glasses and i have a pen in my pocket (laughs) and all of the possible stereotypical one-dimensional crap you can do with a dreamy creative person and a i like computers person is as as cheaply written as you can possibly get it's astonishing to me that tony kushner wrote this co-wrote this it's astonishing um, Seth Rogen is terrible. He's miscast. He's not good. And I didn't care about what was happening there. Don't even get me started on how embarrassing Judd Hirsch is in this movie. It is the worst supporting performance of the year. And the stuff he has to say is again, so like, it's very Spielberg. Here's what I'm trying to say. Get your emotions. Cause I'm going to smash you in the face with them. And he's embarrassing in it. I didn't care about anything that was happening. Like you, Steve, the whole, like, I need a camera and I'm going to do this. The only time you ever really see him do anything other than, you know, like have, his, have their sisters dress him up like a mummy when he was, they're mummies when they're kids and stuff. He gives a kid, the only scene in the movie that I found remotely, like, interesting during of the, the, the tons of filmmaking sequences in the movie is when he gives the kid direction. That's yeah. the, the, the one scene where he actually gives the kid direction on how to act the scene. 
It's actually That's a great scene. it's the, yeah. it's my it's my favorite moment it, uh, uh, filmmaking wise in the movie. It's my favorite moment in the entire movie when the kid just continues to walk as they, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? As they, that to me is like, okay, well, here's something interesting and something that's not ham-fisted and one-dimensional and soap opera-like. That's a really clever way to show how this kid is going to direct actors. Um, you know, uh, but I, 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 I don't think it's much different than how he directed Michelle Williams in this movie. Uh, so, you know, I, and, and it goes on forever. And finally, at the end of the movie, there's one scene in the movie and I mean, I think I, I don't want to give it away here, but a lot of people have people given away who's in it and who he plays. People, people, I don't know if they've given away who he plays, but I think people know that person is in the movie. All right, I don't uh, know when he shows up though. Yeah, all right, I, I know I've seen it. I, I don't know if I want. I, uh, should we say who? It, I won't say who this person is playing, but should I mean if he's in the credits, yeah. right? People know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's David been, Lynch. There's articles written. Yeah. Okay, David Lynch is in the movie. Filmmaker David Lynch, who's acted in some films too, but David Lynch is in the movie. And he shows up in the, what is basically the final scene of the movie. Um, and it is a very funny scene, and he's very funny in it. Uh, but it is so completely out of place with everything that happens. It seemed completely forced and desperate and an attempt to be quirky because I got David Lynch in here. And what the advice that this person gives to Sammy, and I, again, I won't say who he plays, uh, gives gives to Sammy that final shot. I wanted to pu- I wanted to punch Spielberg in the face in that with the, with the final <laughs> shot. I was like, how? Of course, that's how you're going to end the movie. But the problem is that he had the horizon in the middle for two hours and thirty minutes before that. As far as I'm concerned, <laughs> um, and also you mentioned the whole thing. Uh, there are some scenes in this movie where I was like, dude, have you been watching some De Palma? Because that scene um, that you're talking about, where he takes all this, that's straight out of Blowout. That's Blowout, mm-hmm. which you can go back to Blow Up. But that whole scene where he's assembling that whole thing, I'm like, oh, you watched Blowout, good. Oh, and the prom scene, it's the, the, the prom scene is the entire gymnasium is the same art direction completely as Carrie. And I was like, look, I know you guys <laughs> are buddies, so is this sort of like a salute to a better filmmaker than you? I don't know. No, so, I, don't know. I don't know how far you want to go down the rabbit hole of People stealing from the palm up next. No, no. Listen, <laughs> I know that, and that's why I mentioned blow up. But I'm saying that. Uh-huh. But that. But the way it's shot, and the way it, and it, it, the way it's shot and cut, and the fact that it's film, moving film, you know, it's, uh, it's completely taken from blow up. The editing, the shots that he did, the way he cut it, completely taken from blow up. To from blowout. And uh, and yeah no I'm not hey look I know who I know but De Palma is a filmmaker on his own who was you know obviously inspired by a lot of other filmmakers but he always makes his movies his own and Spielberg I guess does too but he stole he if you're gonna steal steal from the best so I don't know <laughs> but I don't know but I, I look it didn't work for me and again you guys know I'm not I don't blindly just praise everything that Spielberg directs uh, and I find it massively disappointing that he followed up such a terrific movie with this. Uh, so anyway, but I don't know. And it's not getting the kind of universal, like, is, I mean, is this going to be the big awards thing that everybody expected it to be? Do you think? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It is. Yeah. Right. It will be. And probably right. for Michelle Williams. Yeah. Oh my <laughs> yeah. God. Well, they, <laughs> Michelle Williams would have won supporting actress if they left her there, but there, she's being campaigned and best actress and she's going to lose. Yeah, yeah, well, she doesn't right. deserve to win, but well, anyway. anyway uh, so, yeah, no. Um, not a fan. Steve, you're in the middle, and Eric, of course, you loved it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. All right. Well, uh, Steve, why don't you tell us about uh, Bones and All? This year's Suspiria. Okay, so... <laughs> 
Um, yeah, bones, bones and all. Uh, the latest from uh, Luca Guada. Uh, yeah, Guadagnino. 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 Yeah, yeah, I got it. I got it. So he, the maker of Call Me by Your Name, he actually has another movie out right now called Salvatore, which, by the way, is maker of dreams, which is terrific. Terrific movie. Yeah, terrific. Yeah, if you don't think you care about a movie about a guy who makes high-end shoes, you'd be wrong. So that's the thing, Steve. That's the thing. And Eric, have you have you seen this movie? By the way, no. It's it's terrific. And and again, like I went in there going, I do not care about a guy who designs <laughs> shoes for Hollywood. And 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 then when it was over, I was like, you know what? I do care about a guy who designed shoes <laughs> for Hollywood. It's a terrific movie. Well, he designed them in a very unique like basically with the first time a costume designer existed. <laughs> he yeah. like yeah, yeah. he ended a silent film. So anyway, okay, backs of bones and all though. Very different movie. Um yeah. so it's a story it's a story it's a technically I guess at its core, it's a love story about this girl named Marin. Uh, played by Taylor Russell, who uh, is abandoned by her father, who's played by Andre Holland in a nice little opening scene, uh, abandoned by her because she is starting to manifest signs of oh, are we I, I, it's weird in all the descriptions, I, uh, official descriptions. I haven't actually seen them say they're cannibals. She does, but we can they're do cannibals. What we can say, right? They're yeah, cannibals. they're cannibals. Okay. They're cannibals. Yeah. Not, but not just cannibals that like <laughs> like human food, but they're like human flesh. But they are actually like in a lot of ways like vampires. They're sort of driven to it, like they they have cravings for it. So right. it's more like a disease almost than anything else. Uh, but they're not vampires. They don't get to live forever. <laughs> they just need. They just and, crave the taste of human flesh. And so. by the way, they're referred to. They're not referred to as cannibals in the movie. They're referred no. to as e- eaters. They're referred to right. as eaters. eaters. Right. Yeah. So that's why I was going to call them eaters. But right. okay. So, but anyway, so she she kind of is forced. Just she's kind of by herself. She's only a high school only high school age when we meet her, um, and she sort of has to survive on the margins of society. Um, uh, one of her first stops as a, as a solo act is she stops in a small town and meets another uh, person like her named Sully, who's played very creepily by Mark Rylance. Um, and he he sort of introduces her to uh, how his methods of finding someone who is on the verge of death and then just sort of killing them and eating them. So it doesn't you don't have to feel as bad about killing someone living Um but he's a little too clingy, a little too weird. And so she kind of just wanders away from him. Uh, but that's not the last we see of him. And then eventually she comes across uh, someone about her age uh, named Lee, who's played by Timothy Chalamet, uh, who's, again, in sort of intense and very disenfranchised. He's kind of a, just a, a drifter. Um, and But the two of them obviously like are very attracted to each other. They're two good-looking kids, so why not? Um, and it's kind of just becomes this road odyssey of these two young people who are kind of coming into their own, but but she is also sort of searching for this new identity and uh, you know chasing chasing certain goals in this very perilous world. But they're at the same time they're also mm. cannibals, and so the film is kind of horrific and very bloody. And um, they kind of and she at least sort of struggles sometimes with who she is and whether this is the kind of person she wants to be for the rest of her life. Um, there's a really great scene. I mean, again, it's just sort of, it's sort of odyssey. Like it just different. You just kind of hit different scenes as it goes on. And each thing's a little segment unto itself. And there's a great scene where they meet a couple other people like them. And by the way, they can apparently at a very long distance, you can smell each other. You can, these cannibals can smell each other. So they and they sort of an unwritten rule that you don't eat another cannibal, even though I guess you could. But um, but so they they run into this pair of guys 
uh, played by David Gordon Green and Michael Stuhlbarg. <laughs> that is so funny, and especially if you realize it's David Gordon Green. Um, there's, uh, but eventually, I I, uh, I think Marin's ultimate goal is to. Uh, meet her mother, who she's, I don't think she's ever met before. And so she's kind of searching for her mother and she wants to find out if this, if this trait was handed down. Um, and I won't, I won't give away too much. And she does actually end up meeting her. I think it's her grandmother, right? That Jessica Harper yeah. plays her grandmother. Yeah. yeah. So, and then the grandmother kind of points her in the right direction. And I won't say what happens there. Cause it's, it's kind of great, but um, I, I will say this. I was, I was very pulled in by this film I, I liked it um, almost more as a love story than I did like a horror film. And it doesn't play out like a regular horror film, although it does have really shocking kind of bloody moments. Uh, I believe this is also set during. Yeah, because you see it on the TV. This is like Ronald Reagan's America. So 85. It's 85. Is, yeah. Yeah. 1985. So it's so we're sort of we're kind of deep in that. And. Um, and that is that sort of underscores everything that's going on too. that this very sort of selfish <laughs> generation. Um, but I, I, I was I mean, I, I will I will give a little inside baseball here. The three of us and not very many other people watch this movie together at a screening. And we all had very different reactions to it. Um, and I was I was I'm not in the middle on this. I love this movie. I don't really feel like I was pulled in emotionally um and the ending you may respond to the ending a little differently um but uh i wasn't pulled in emotionally um as much as i would have liked to have been but it didn't really hinder my my liking the film at all i did i like this film quite a bit i think it's really stylishly done it's it's a lot rawer than um than this filmmaker's other films are um yeah, I, I I I kind of appreciate this as like a human story about these two young people trying to like find their place in the world, and it sort of exaggerates that struggle that all all like young people probably have. Um, and usually, films about young people drifting and being pains in the asses and all that really annoy the shit out of me. But for some reason, I, I there was a little more substance to this version of that story than I'm used to. So I'm I'm on board with Bones and all. Okay, all right, Eric, Bones and all. Uh, I was not pulled into this movie uh, at all. In fact, I was actually kept uh, at a distance from it. Uh, Steve is laughing. He's been waiting for this review for a few weeks. Uh, but uh, no, I, w- I was surprised how little I cared about what was going on in this movie. And I know that I haven't read the the, the uh, young adult novel that the film is based on, but it, you know, it seems like you know we've done vampires, we've done werewolves, we've done zombies. We'll, we'll just make cannibals, and the the film uses that aspect, I think, as just a metaphor. I think without providing any real insight into the struggle. I think one of the things, you know, not that I'm this movie needed to be a cannibal horror movie. I was not expecting that. I was expecting, you know, a relationship movie that happened to have cannibalism at its center, which have actually have existed in the past. Claire Denis made one many years ago. Uh, but, but as far as their struggle 
is concerned. I think that there's a real lacking in the screenplay in defining what is going on with them. You know, with with the stories about vampires, we're, we're, we're preordained to knowing what their struggle is. If they don't have blood, they suffer and they might die. Uh, and they need it in a very quick amount of time, you know, daily. Here, it almost seemed random. It just seemed like they're able to go along, you know, for a few days uh, and they don't need anything. And then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, I'm kind of hungry. And it's like, oh, we better find someone. And then only in like one scene is there any real sort of moral consequences to what they're doing. So that to me just felt like there didn't feel like there was anything there. Uh, And the reason that I think this movie was kept, uh, I was kept at a distance from this movie emotionally, maybe in the way that Steve was, maybe even more so, is that I think Taylor Russell's performance is incredibly lacking. In this movie, uh, especially when uh, compared to her co-stars, who are each of them doing something interesting. Uh, I don't know completely successfully, but I think, you know, Chalamet comes on and is doing a character much different than things that I've seen him do in the past. Mark Rylance is off on another planet doing what (laughs) what he's doing. And then Michael Stubarg, the chameleon of chameleons, shows up for one scene and just completely you know nails it like the, like that's that to me is my one scene in the movie that i really responded to it's creepy it's, it's watching a great actor do something and taylor russell to me portraying this character almost like she i understand that she's struggling herself to come uh to you know to, to how to live with this disease or you know or this craving that she has however you want to metaphorize it uh but to me, she didn't bring me in to this character. I didn't feel a struggle in her character. She was a blank to me this entire movie. And, uh, yeah, so I'm sorry to say that this movie did not do it for me at all. Okay. Well, uh, I think it's now. easily one of the best <laughs> easily one of the best movies of the year. Uh, I was a wreck the two times I've seen it. I cried my eyes out at the end. I think it's beautiful. And it's not a horror movie. It's a love story. The movie's a love story. And it goes back... To uh, it's it's a it's it is as old it's an as old a story as time. It's lovers on the run. It is lovers on the run from their past, from their families, from authorities. It's like near dark. It's like they live by night. It's like Badlands for Christ's sake. It's it it is that kind of movie. It's a road movie about lovers on the run. The 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 difference is that they just happen to have this 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 disease that which by the way is explained by Mark Rylance it gets worse as you get older that's explained uh-huh. in the movie uh, that like the the cravings will come they will come and you'll need them uh, but you know you'll need them to survive but you can survive until you get older and that's explained by Mark Rylance in the first scene that they have uh, that he mm-hmm. has with Taylor Russell he explains the whole thing so. They're still young, and they can still kind of skate away on that until they're put in positions where they can't do it anymore. And sometimes they need to, but the, the final sequence in this movie is a movie that is, is, is the culmination of all of the stuff they've been running away from in one scene. And, uh, and yeah, and I thought, I think Taylor Russell's great. I think she's fantastic. I think she's uh, uh, really intriguing and mysterious. And I think the relationship that, that the two of them have between, and Timothy Chalamet, you know, you guys know how much I love him. He's one, I, seriously, I think he's one of the greatest things in the world right now. And the, the chemistry between the two of them is explosive. It's beautiful. And I cared about them. Yeah, the scene with Michael Stoberg and David, and David Gordon Green is fantastic. But it's one of many scenes where you get the varying looks at these eaters. You know, uh, and like Mark Rylance is a completely different type of person than, than anybody else in this movie. And Lee is different than her. And, and, and 
And I, but to me, the key of this, the key to this movie is this. I think is the one of the best love stories I've seen in years. One of the most effective and beautiful love stories about tragic love from young people. And this is a, this goes back to to Shakespeare for Christ's sake. It's about young doomed love. That's ultimately what it's about. And I think it's as beautifully romantic as Call Me by Your Name. I think it's as I think it's a great look at America and Middle America as sifted through the eyes of a very interesting idiosyncratic Italian director who sees America in the 80s a little bit differently than we do. And I think that whole portrait of the road movie in the 80s uh, I think all the performances are great. Uh, people are kind of like uh, tr- trashing on Mark Rylance. I think all the weird choices he makes are great. I think his I think his character is funny and creepy and weird and scary. Um, and I at the end of this movie I was a wreck. I think the score is amazing. Uh, Trent Reznor and uh, and um, and uh, Atticus. I was going to say Finch. What's his name? Uh, it's not Atticus Finch. It's not. It's not the lawyer from, from no. To Kill a Locking Knockingbird. Uh, but anyway, is I think Ro- they're... Rose? I, yeah, yeah Attica, Atticus, Trent Reznor and Atticus, the guys who've done you know, scores for so many of the David Fincher movies and stuff, they yeah. do the score here, and it's a, an amazingly beautiful score. And the song, uh, It's Like I Was at Home, is beautiful. It's played at the end. Um, I cried my eyes out at the end. I think it's in a beautifully acted portrait of love that happens to also be gross, um, I don't think it's a horror movie. To me, if, if someone were to ask me what this movie was, I'd say I would say Love Story, and and it's an effective one. And everybody in the movie is fantastic. And I do want to mention, um, fucking Anna Cobb is in this movie. She plays um, Timothy Chalamet's younger sister. She's got like three scenes in the movie. She's fantastic. She gave one of the best performances this year in her first movie ever. She's in a movie called um, We're All Going to the World's Fair, and she's mm. amazing in that movie. One of the one of the first breakout first roles I've ever seen, and she's great in this. And I'm glad that Luca put her in this movie. He saw her in uh, We're All Going to the World's Fair and put her in this movie, and she plays uh, the younger sister of Timothy Chalamet, and she's great, along with everybody else. But I wanted to definitely mention, look out for the name Anna Cobb. She's going to be around for a very long time. Um, and, you know, she blasted onto the scene, in my opinion, in uh, We're All Going to the World's Fair, and she plays uh, Chalamet's uh, younger sister in this. I loved it. I, it, it. It hooked me every, you know, and I think it does... All of the beautiful things that lovers on the run, young lovers on the run do, I think it heightens the genre. It's gorgeous to look at. Everything about it, I think, is magnificent, and it killed me emotionally. Like, I was like a fucking wreck after, after seeing this movie both times. So, hmm. uh, so I loved it. I think it's one of the best movies of the year. So, uh, anyway. But I like the Luca guy. I think he's great. He made two great movies this year. Yeah. And I really think, you know, like, I know you guys liked uh, uh, Call Me By Your Name, right? Eric, you like Call Me By Your Name. Yeah, that one, that one did pull me in. Yeah, and that one, to, that to me, it's, this is as lush and beautiful and as romantic as that movie. I think he's got a knack for it. And I, I don't know. I love everything the guy does. The guy made a, rem- a remake of Suspiria, and I loved it. So how the <laughs> hell? Anyway. All right. All right we, we're, uh, we're running out of time, but very, very quickly, Eric, you don't have to tell us really about it. Based on a true story, Devotion okay. is about the first uh, African-American um, fighter pilot in the U.S. Uh, uh, in the U.S. Navy uh, during the Korean War and about uh, his relationship with a friend of his and what happens to them uh, in Korea. What was your what were your thoughts on Devotion, Eric? Um, not, not crazy about it. Um, I think that, uh, you know, this is to me watching the movie. It was trying to it seemed like it was trying so hard to avoid the kind of cliches we would see in not just war movies but movies of that period about uh racial struggles and things like that that it's it it forgets to tell a more meaningful story between them like i mean this movie is basically 
surround centered around this friendship and i didn't really feel how great their friendship was throughout um they're, they're definitely in scenes to get many scenes together and they have conversations but uh it didn't feel like by the end uh which i think that when you get to the end this this crash sequence towards the end i think that's the yeah. best stuff in the entire movie um jonathan majors is a star this guy will never not be watchable it seems uh and the flying scenes are fine but nothing spectacular uh and so, yeah so i just got kind of walked away just kind of shrugging my shoulders with it yeah okay uh, what about you steve I didn't want spectacular flying scenes. We already got that this year, and I was, I hated it. So I was ready. I mean, although those are probably the best parts of Top Gun Maverick, but I, I think this movie has something that a lot of other films, certainly about aviators, don't have, which is patience and, like, a humanity and humility. And I, I like the friendship. And because most of their friendship is based around being fighter pilots so like yeah that's that's the part they're like they have each other's backs and as much as as much as a jonathan majors character who's a real guy it's a real person uh, based on a real person um as much as he they they do have some some scenes where he's being you know i guess for lack of a better word bullied by some other people in the military that core group of aviators on that aircraft carrier all they they don't care that he's black they don't care about any of it. they're just they just all have each other's backs they're very supportive um they all love each other but i did i did fall for that friendship at the core i think it's the strongest part of this movie mm. um yeah the crash stuff the crash stuff at the end is tremendous like that's that's the heart and soul of the movie um but that doesn't work if you're not if you don't like buy into the friendship i don't think so yeah. um yeah i mean the, like i said the, the movie's kind of low-key for most of the time but that's I pref- I think I prefer that over what we got earlier this year. So, yeah, yeah I wasn't a big fan of this one either, uh, Eric. I'm more in your camp on this one. Uh, I think uh, you know uh, Glenn Hall and Jonathan Majors are both very good, and I just think that the movie takes what is a very inspiring true story, and this is an absolutely true story. At the very end of the movie, you get to see the real guys, and you know, and all that. Um, and I think it takes the this incredibly important friendship. This wonderful thing that happened, this heroic, incredible, heroic thing that these guys went through and reduces it to a movie of the week. I thought it followed every like, you. OK, well, who, here's, you know, like all the like you're talking about, Steve, all the guys, the, the, the pilots and everything. That's all like very stereotypical, uh, you know, yeah. screenwriting 101. Hey, look at this guy. Geez, I wonder if he's going to crash. Wonder if he's gonna go. You know what I mean? Like that. It was like it was like watching Hot Shots. It's like, well, there's that that guy is gonna. He, yeah. did, he did he walk under a, a ladder? What happened? Did a black? I, I did laugh at that scene. Yeah, I mean, it, come yeah. on. I mean, how did you not see? I mean, and there are you know, and again, again, I I admire the fact that it's not about you know like uh, the white savior. You know what I mean? Like it it's never about that. And I I like the fact that it's about these guys being equal, and that it is about the the, the problems that you know obviously back in in the fifties that it was being an African-American in the, in, you know, in the Navy. Uh, but I think it reduces it to kind of a very stereotypical uh, movie of the week. And um, I, was, I was not a fan. And, uh, and, I, and Jonathan Majors rules. I mean, he please, he rules. And, uh, and, and you know, Glenn Howell, um, you know, is he just going to play fighter pilots now for the rest of his life? I don't know. But I've liked him in the past. I loved him on Scream Queens. He's fantastic and everybody wants mm-hmm. some. Uh, I hated him yep. in Top Gun. I thought he was fine in this. So <laughs> I don't think it's the cast's fault. I really think that this is kind of like screenwriting 101 uh, movie of the week stuff. And I think that their story, their friendship, and what they did deserved better. That's all. Um, maybe a documentary. Maybe read about these guys. I don't know. I think there are better ways to get the story. 
I, I would have rather seen the documentary. Yes. Yeah. For uh, sure. Yeah. Absolutely. And, absolutely. There, and there is a book. There. Okay. There well, then read the book. Right. <laughs> That's the way to go. <laughs> so, what do we got coming? To, we're back here like December what eighth, ninth, whatever that is. Ninth. What do we got? Yeah. Uh, is the is that uh, I'm gonna I'm Santa and I'll kick your ass movie gonna be out then? Is that that the week before that comes okay. out That's next week? Um, yeah. All right. Yeah. I mean, the whale opens in limited release okay. that week. Um, a little later in Chicago. Right. Yeah, this yeah, this is kind of, yeah, it's kind of a dead week. It's a dead week. Well, maybe if we can catch up on some it's stuff. It's not that, that we, dead. We can well, catch we up. We haven't reviewed. That's when Pinocchio shows up on Netflix. Oh, Pinocchio. All right, cool. We'll talk. talk about that. There's yeah. there'll be plenty to talk about. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, interesting, uh, di- di- divisive uh, opinions yeah. on this uh, on this episode. <laughs> Uh, but hey, make up your own mind. We review Glass Onion, The Fablemans, Bones and All, and Devotion. Uh, and so there you go. All, All right, right, Steve, Eric, thank you guys. You're the best, and I'll talk to you soon. Okay? Thanks. Yeah. Thank All you. Right, see you later. There you go. Uh, Eric Childress and Steve Procopi in the movies. Now it's time for Esmeralda Leon. Esmeralda. Yeah. Esmeralda Leon. Yeah. Esma. I'm talking about that Esma. Esmeralda Leon, yeah. Esmeralda, yeah, yeah. Oh, Esmeralda Leon, yeah, yeah. Get yourself some asthma. Love me some asthma. Esmeralda Leon, yeah. Esmeralda. Yeah. There it is. The theme we all look forward to every episode of the Nick D podcast and uh it is episode 92 man Esmeralda Leon is here hi Esmeralda hello can you believe we it's been 92 episodes that's yeah especially wow yeah it's quite a grind yeah it is and you know what I'm I'm, I'm adding to it because we've officially announced my new podcast yeah um, yes, will, congratulations. Which, thank you. It'll launch in January. Um, the first episode will, I believe, drop on the 11th of January. Mm-hmm. And it's called, uh, That Show Hasn't Been Funny in Years, an SNL podcast. Mm-hmm. And each episode will be about SNL in some way. And I've got 47 years of, of uh, material to work with, so I think I'll be okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, feel like, be... I feel like I saw that post... That you said that uh, Melissa Villasenor liked your comment. She did. I, I feel like uh, you should somehow bounce uh, that into that's, an trust invite. Me, that's, it's, in the, it's, in, it's in the works, uh, trust uh, me. Um, I, I, I have a couple of friends who have connections with some nice. SNL-related people, and I have had Ooh. SNL people on my show in the past, so that's definitely an avenue we're going to go down. But it's going to be real freeform, like one episode. Like I've already said what the first episode is about, Esmeralda. Are you ready for the, mm-hmm. the very first episode? Episode number yes. one of there's uh, that show hasn't been funny in years um which by the way i don't agree with that statement i named it that ironically <laughs> because i want to disprove that statement which i right. hate i hate well it you always bring that up because i hate it i hate it when people yeah, you always bring it up that people say that to you so. <laughs> it makes me fucking crazy it makes me nuts it's like shut the fuck up uh, you don't know what you're talking about but anyway uh, the very first episode is is i i don't know why but i'm i'm coming out of the gate uh by just doing an entire episode dedicated to the potato chip sketch from 2009. Nice. <laughs> That's the entire episode. It's just going to be dedicated. I love it. To how much I love the potato chip sketch. And it's got a real interesting history. Um, and, mm-hmm. and that is, a, for my money, one of my favorite sketches in the history of the show. Um, so that's what I'm going to launch with. But we'll talk about best seasons and best casts and favorite episodes and favorite sketches. And I'll have guests on. And 
you know, it's just going to be all free form. Every single episode will have something to do with Saturday Night Live. And like I said, that's 47 years yeah. worth of material to choose from. So I'm mm-hmm. very excited about it. And uh, it'll it's be very radio, cool. Radiomisfits.com starting in January. So subscribe nice. to that too. Anyway. Um, so yeah, 92 episodes. We have our 100th episode coming up in a couple of, a little less than a month. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, and I want to do some special stuff, maybe play some clips from the past and maybe uh, have a few surprise uh, surprises and guests like that. Because 100 is a big yeah. thing. So we'll do that. Exa- yeah. yeah. Especially something like this where it's not like you have to, we have to do it. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like, it's not like when you go, so at, you know, in radio, it's a job. Someone yeah. hires you and then you go into a place and it just it airs somewhere. Right. <laughs> it's kind of like, there right. you go. Right. This is like, you have to like come to this. You have to, you have to do this and want to do it. Because right. you could easily just be like, you know what? This week we're not going to do anything. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. So uh, it, it's it, but it's been a blast. You know, it's been just a, a real blast. I mean, I can't believe it's almost been a year. In January, it'll be a year. Um, yeah, and oh, great. by the way, also another January announcement, Esmeralda. We are doing mm. another uh, the live event. Oh yeah. Uh, the the date has been has been uh, has what been, a nice uh, coin coinc- coincident coinciding. Yeah, <laughs> is that a word? <laughs> the 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 week after the the actual one week after uh, I launched the uh, we launched the SNL uh, podcast, we will mm-hmm. be live at Zany's again, and it's January seventeenth. Yes. January seventeenth. So if you missed us on November fifteenth, January seventeenth, and then I talked to the people at Zany's, it's going to be a monthly thing, Esmeralda. So we're going to be doing that every month. Yeah, yeah, and so, yeah. Don't uh, don't feel so obligated. To not show up January, but feel obligated to show up. Oh, you have to be Tuesday. there. I, yeah, you have to be there. So it's Tuesday. We're going to be doing it every Tuesday one yeah. month. But still, go. Yeah. <laughs> but still, uh, we want you. To, we want to pack the place. It'll be fun, and we'll give you all the details on the on the. And we're going to make it, you know, different and fun, and just as interactive and just as hilarious as uh, the one we did in November. But it's January seventeenth. Yeah. If you want to mark that down, January seventeenth, the Nick D Podcast Live, me, Esmeralda, and a bunch of surprises on stage. At Zanies in Rosemont on January seventeenth. So January is fitting to be a big, uh, big month for uh, for us here. Yeah, yeah. exciting. I love cool. it. All right. Well, we're going to talk a little bit more about food marketing, which we were talking about before, and kind mm-hmm. of the tricks that they use. Um, and we have more of the crazy Japanese snacks and uh, candy to test, taste test. Thanks to our friend yes. Deanna, and we're going to be doing that. And uh, uh, I, maybe I guess we should kick it off with like a megaphone message. You want to do that? Yes. Okay. I, oh. I believe I would like to hear that. Okay, wait. Yeah, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. We have to hear that. That's... Your chorus, your, I, what is it like? What is it? Rome? Greek. There you go. Greek chorus. <laughs> Greek yeah, chorus yeah. of yeah. yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Anyway, there's the, uh-oh. Oh. Hi, I'm Carrie Russell, and I love oh. Nick's show. Hi, Carrie. Hi, Carrie. Hi. Uh, she's ready for a special. <laughs> she'll like, maybe she'll give us a special announcement on uh, episode number. 100. Hi, I'm Carrie Russell. Yeah. Maybe I did she ever do SNL? Nick's show. No, she never hosted. She's never SNL. done. No, mm. uh, and, that's a bummer. Uh, I know it sucks because she'd be great. I think she'd be great. Yeah, yeah, I'd be um, curious how she could if she could do it. Yeah, I wonder if she's I'd, ever been asked. Uh, if they haven't asked her, I mean, because now she's not doing anything. I mean, they, they could have asked mm-hmm. her, obviously, uh, while she was doing Felicity. But you would expect that for the 
what, however long she was doing the Americans and how popular right. that show was that she would have been asked to do it then, you know? But yeah. uh, mm. anyway. Hi, I'm Carrie Okay, Russell, Carrie. She's upset I now. I love Nick's show. Oh, sorry, she's sad. Carrie. Okay, I'm sorry, <laughs> Carrie. That's right. She's very sad now because she wasn't. <laughs> she wasn't. She's, she's, like, she's no never. No one asked. really asked me. She, oh, she's outside. I can hear her. What is she doing? Outside? Oh, oh, boy. oh, oh no. no. Oh, Carrie. Is there a mattress downstairs? <laughs> Just <laughs> catch her. <laughs> oh, man. Oh. I think I broke my ass. All right. Everything's fine. <laughs> Okay, so do you want to uh, to hear the the request for the magic megaphone? Oh yeah, for sure. I like to call it the magic megaphone, but there's nothing magical. Well, it is magic. <laughs> it is how magical. Is it, how is it magical? I don't know. It just is. Does it uh, really have? Do we have to like give reasons? It no. can just be magic. No, just say it's magic, and people have to take it. Yeah. It's like, yeah, no, that's magic. Magic-y. You say, yeah. Um, you know, it's not magic. Exactly. <laughs> Well, anyway, the magic megaphone is uh, somehow a thing, <laughs> and I right. know as well that it's, it's your favorite because it's so stupid. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> so the idea is, if you want to hear something come out of a megaphone, specifically designed mm-hmm. for you, mm-hmm. something you would like me to say to the megaphone, and it'll come out, or a message that you would like to give to someone, whatever you would like sure. for me to yeah. say into the magic megaphone. Uh, we're taking requests, and you can leave it as a voicemail yeah. at 773-417-6948-247, or send us what you want me to say in an email, nickdpodcast at gmail.com. Well, Eric, uh, but Hanky, who, by the way, is an old uh, friend of the show. This guy's been listening since, I believe, the Gary Lee Wright days. So oh we're talking goodness. well over 20-something years. Um, it says, hey, uh, Nick, I'd like to request a couple of seasonal megaphone messages I'll leave it up to you which you'd like to do. That is, if you want to do either of them. Thanks in advance. <laughs> and of course I want to do them. I love the, I love the magic megaphone. Um, yeah, I don't think you can, at least not yet, you have not refused no, to do one. No, I'm not going to refuse anything. If people, if people, yeah. whatever, you know, if, if, as long as people are, are subscribing to the show and participating, I'll do whatever the fuck you want. There you go. <laughs> at, at this point. All right, everybody, you heard it. <laughs> exactly. So anyway, he'll here's do the, anything into the microphone. He requested some seasonal megaphone, two seasonal megaphone messages, and said you can choose whichever one you like. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, I did both. I did both. I did both of them. Oh, so right. here they are, and you and I'll play them. And the, again, these are sort of Christmassy seasonal things because it is the day after Thanksgiving, and it's officially the Christmas holiday season. Even though Christmas mm-hmm. started like right, you know November first, as far as I can tell, according to Walgreens uh, across the street, you know Halloween is like just a buffer zone. So, mm. um, but anyway, here 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 they are. These are these are the seasonal messages that are now in the megaphone magic. Here we go. <laughs> Dinner was full. Not a finger. Dinner was full. So. Not a finger. Dinner was full. So. So those are two separate. Dinner was full. Right. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Oh, no. I hit the alarm So again, two separate but. messages there. Right. Right. So, they, and they're both, they, they, they have something to do with, they are seasonal. One more time. Here's the, mm-hmm. here we go. Mm-hmm. That's the first one. Dinner was full. That's the second one. Not a finger. Dinner was full. Okay, so do you know where they're from? Uh-huh. No. 
Not a no. finger. <laughs> not a finger is the first one. Mm-hmm. That's from a Christmas story. That's um, the moment where Darren McGavin, as the father, is all pissed off because the um, the leg lamp has been broken, and they try to put it yes. back together. And he gets pissed off, and he puts his hat on and his coat, and he goes, "He couldn't." And, and the voiceover, Gene Shepard says, uh, he, "You know, my old man was mad, but this is all he could come up with." And he goes, "Not a finger," and walks out. <laughs> so that's where that's from. <laughs> Not a finger. Uh. Okay. The second one, shitter was full. Mm-hmm. Is from National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. You know and, what? I was thinking it was a vacation one. Yeah, one of Christmas the vacation. one of those. Yeah, Christmas oh, Vacation. Okay. Um, and that's where Randy Quaid, as cousin Eddie, is outside dumping his sump pump from his motorhome into the into the oh, street, God. and he's drinking a beer mm. on, on Christmas morning. Fantastic. And a, a neighbor comes out and sees him out there in his bathrobe drinking a beer with a cigarette hanging out of his mouth. And the tube with all the sewage being poured out into the <laughs> into the street, stinking up the neighborhood. And uh, he and the neighbor comes out and looks and sees cousin Eddie out there, and he goes, "Merry Christmas!" Shitter was full, so that's the, that's why he's out there. Oh, he's dumping the shitter. So oh, that's, I love it. So that's Great. where they come from. It's from Christmas <laughs> Story and uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. I love it. Shitter was full. So there you go. That's Not a right. Shitter was full. So that's that. There you go. That Eric. There Love they are. It. There's your Love request. It. One or very the other, nice. and, I, very and nice. I did. I did both. Yes. Very <laughs> nice. So again, if you have a specialized megaphone message that you want to hear, uh, leave it. Uh, tell me what to say, and I'll say it. Email me at nickdpodcast at gmail or leave a voicemail message of any kind. Any kind. You know, any contribution that you have. Seven seven three four one seven six nine four eight. So there you go. All right. So we were talking about uh, this uh, food marketing and some of the tricks that people use. We were talking about like um, the last time that we talked, it was like we did, uh, you know, the colors that are friendly, right? We were talking about that. And what are some of the other things mm-hmm. that, that mm-hmm. we uh, talked about? Um, there was also, where did it go here? Um, we had, so colors, we also had, oh, the buzzwords, meaningless buzzwords right. that they use, such as cage-free on eggs. And never been frozen. Right. Right. And Although, that... um, so recent, um, I was talking to my mom yeah. yesterday, and she she had a piece of meat in the freezer that she was pulling out. And she said, oh, no, it said I'm not supposed to, I wasn't supposed to freeze this. I wonder how it's going to taste. And I'm like, what do you mean you're not supposed to freeze it? And she goes, it says never frozen. <laughs> And I'm like, Ma, no. No, no. Oh, no, no. That just means that just means no. that it, when you bought it, it's never been frozen. I'm like, Ma, it would be never freeze if they told you it's never been frozen. It just cracks me up. I'm like, no, Ma, that's not that's, what that means. That's fantastic. That is But I also so love fantastic. that she did it anyway. She's like, right. whatever. Yeah. <laughs> froze it anyway. Oh, that's fantastic. Never for no, no, don't put it in the freezer. Never She's frozen. Like, oh. Never I'm not frozen. supposed to freeze this. That's outstanding. <laughs> Did it anyway, though. <laughs> that is outstanding. That's outst- oh, that is just lovely. I love that so much. <laughs> oh, my God. That's so funny. Um, well, uh, never frozen, so do not put it in the freezer if you see that. <laughs> oh, goodness. That's great. All right. Um, well, so catchphrases and colors and stuff. And what about this one now? Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, some of the other, basically we're talking about food marketing tricks, stuff to, to get us to, to, to get in there and, and, yes. and like certain things. Now, now, you know, uh, 
when you see a picture, like especially on an ad in a magazine or online or whatever, when you see a picture of food, that's been so messed with. Um, oh, yeah. And, and sometimes and like, it's not even food. Right. Sometimes it's, it's not even the thing. Yeah, <laughs> the thing exactly. That they're advertising. And the food, the, you know, it's, it's, it's funny because like what they do to the food. I mean, there are people whose job, they, their entire job at their sub genre as a photographer is a food photographer, meaning yeah. that there are a litany of tricks and visual uh, stunts that they can pull and spraying lacquer on things and glue mm-hmm. and all kinds of stuff to, to make, you know, they basically take a, a, an enormous amount of non-edible products to make something look edible. It's fascinating. Yeah. Actually. I remember seeing something about it and uh, this is timely for Thanksgiving. It was a Turkey that they had, they had actually, yeah, they lacquered it on the outside. Right. I think they right. cooked it. They cooked it for like a, a little bit. Um, but then it wasn't fully cooked, so they would lacquer it to look right. browned. Right. And then I think they just stuffed it with stuff. Yeah. In general. Well, that's that's what you know. Because oh, by the way, for people who uh, Esmeralda, it is yesterday was Thanksgiving. It wasn't. It's not tomorrow. Oh, sorry. When we're taping this, it's not. It's not tomorrow. This is. We're not taping this on the evening of, of the night before Thanksgiving. We're not. This no. No. Nope. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, how was your turkey? Was it lovely? It was so good. It was we so didn't good. Eat any? It was so good. <laughs> we yeah, and we had a we had a fantastic uh, Thanksgiving last night. Right. Anyway, um, <laughs> so uh, yeah, these tricks. But I, there's a, a quickly thing in the article that I got here. It says all kinds of things are substituted, like glue for milk mm-hmm. or mashed potatoes for ice cream. They have mashed potatoes. They yeah. add Scotch Guard on pancakes or soap and carbonated beverages to make the food look better on film. Uh, it looks tasty, but you definitely would be in a world of regret if you actually took a bite. And that's true. Yeah, that would be <laughs> very unfortunate. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I will say those mashed potatoes make good looking ice cream. They do, don't they? <laughs> like, I really. Yeah. They they work. They work on me. Uh, all of that shit works on me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I, like, I don't care how glossy. Like. Like you look, you ever, you ever, you, do you remember the movie? And I don't even. Of course, I'm. Of course, of course, I'm derailing the whole conversation because I'm an idiot. But the, you ever see the movie Falling Down with Michael Douglas? Uh, I have not. Okay, well, Falling Down. If you look this movie up, it's actually a really terrific movie directed by Joel. I know Belay. the. I know the big thing because he's like he like loses it and he's got yeah. a bat. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. He's got a bait. He's he, he. Yeah. He he is a he's a, a guy. He's, he's a dorky looking guy with thick rim glasses. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a pencil protect, you know, pocket protector with pencils, and he loses his mind, leaves his car in the middle of the of the highway, trying to get to work, mm-hmm. and basically goes the whole day by losing his mind over the little shit that everyone has to put up with every day, and he just kind of right. goes nuts, and he goes nuts. But he just I think couldn't it's take tw- it anymore. Yep, yep. <laughs> and he's not. A, the, the, everybody's argument about this movie is that well, this guy's not sane at the beginning, and I'm like, I don't give a fuck. This movie is entertaining as hell. <laughs> <laughs> And there's a scene in the movie where he goes into a fast food place. And I can't remember. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't seen the movie in a while, but it's terrific. Like, Tuesday Weld is, is in it. Robert Duvall. Uh, Joel Schumacher, who's directed some of the worst movies ever. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he did the two George Clooney. He did the George Clooney Batman movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. He did, like, The Lost Boys and St. Elmo's Fire. He's made shitty, shitty, shitty movies. Um, uh, but he directed. This is my favorite Joel Schumacher movie. Um, and... Um, so, but it's a, and by the way, Joel Schumacher, who passed away a couple of years ago, 
Um, I met him for this movie. He came to town to promote oh. Falling Down, and he came on Roy Leonard's show, and I sat in on the interview. And I was like, God, I hate this guy's movies. And Roy's like, just sit in on the interview with me. But we both like Falling Down. <laughs> and so Joel Schumacher comes in, and I'm like, oh, God, this is going to be interesting because I kind of hate every movie this guy's ever made. And he was on Roy's show for, I think, a half an hour, okay? And in that half an hour... I was like, when he left, I was like, you know what? Maybe I like his movies because he's so goddamn charming. <laughs> and, oh, it's one and of those I was like, cases. Okay. And yeah, yeah. And you know what I mean? It's one of those deals where it's like, oh, I, I don't know how many times before I met him, I, I would say, like, how the fuck does this guy continue to get to make movies? He makes the worst yeah. movies ever. How does he continue to get to make big budget movies with big stars? Then I met him and I went, oh, that's how. You know what I mean? Like, he's so... <laughs> fucking lovable and charming and delightful that you're like yeah i'll i'll sign over everything to this guy you know what i mean (laughs) but anyway there's a scene in falling down where he's had it and he goes into a fast food place and uh he orders well first of all he's pissed because he's like there five minutes before uh breakfast is up and he wants Mm -hmm. to order breakfast and they've already stopped serving breakfast they've started cooking lunch so he's pissed because he wanted a breakfast sandwich. So that's one thing he's mad about. You know what I mean? That we've all gone through. Yeah. yeah and then yeah. whatever sandwich he orders looks like shit. It looks like he opens up the package and it looks like it's been stepped on. And then he and at one point, at one point he's standing in the lobby he, and he's screaming at the people behind the counter, yelling at the people behind the counter. And he pulls out the sandwich and he holds it up. And he goes, let me ask you a question. Does this look like this? And then he pointed to big menu sign. <laughs> <laughs> with how beautiful yeah. the burger is. He goes, how does it... Yeah. And that's that's what we're talking about, though. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It never looks like that. It never does. And it's always so sad and depressing when you do. Sometimes, I think I've had one sandwich once that what? kind of looked like the pictures. <laughs> and I'm like, huh, look at yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. That's why, you know, when people go, why does it look so good? It's because that's lacquer and it's scotch guard yeah. and shit. That's why it looks so good. I will say this, though. Damn delicious. The only sandwich (laughs) that consistently looks as good, and I think tastes as good as the picture, Mm -hmm. is the motherfucking Mm -hmm. McRib. The McRib. Well, because it is in lacquer. That thing is is lacquer. It's not real at all. And and uh, you're just eating plastic. Yeah, but but on top of that, though, it it there's so few ingredients because it's McRib. You know, you got your McRib, which is already sauced. (laughs) That's McRib ingredient one. McRib. Yeah. Is that what it is? Yep. Okay. Ingredient one, McRib. Sure. Okay. Uh, Where does that come from? From what McPigs? I, I, you know what? The, the thing I've always said about the McRib, the reason I love it, and I love the McRib. I've had, it's McRib season right now, and I've had five of them so far this season. Oh, I boy. I fucking love the McRib, and every time, and sp- supposedly this is the farewell tour. I don't, I will not abide by that. Why? No, they're like, oh, it's the last. Well, they say that. I think they say that all the time. Like, is it like on The Simpsons? They st- the animal yeah, it, they were using? I, right. Well, maybe it is. And I'll tell you something. Me and Homer are going to go on a fucking road trip if they stop serving oh, the McRib. Boy. I'm telling you right now. So, I mean, no, seriously, I love the McRib. And, mm-hmm. and I think the reason why it photographs the way it does is because it's just a McRib and it's mm-hmm. just onions and three pickles. And that's it. You don't have to, you don't, there's no cheese to make it look good like it's melty or any of that kind of crap. You know yeah. what I mean? You don't, and you don't have to make sure that all the... You know how when you look at a picture of a fast food burger, you can see a little bit of mustard, you can see a little bit of ketchup, and you got... You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. every ingredient. Mm-hmm. And when you get that, you don't want the ketchup squirting out of the sides. You want to, you know... But you have to see it in the picture. 
Mm-hmm. So, but anyway, the McRib is very. Well, simple. I think too because it's that like very bright fake red. Yeah. Which, whatever food coloring they put in it, I mean that's in for the food already. That's not for yeah. pretty sake. Right. Right. So I think that helps it to make it look better. And the thing I love about the McRib is that there's no lying in that food. It's like I am. It, it, the, the, yeah, the McRib, this is real fake. No, yes. <laughs> and the McRib, the, the McRib announces to you as soon as you open the package. The, the McRib says to you in whatever McRib voice, "I am processed." You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because it's made to look like there are fucking bones in it, and there are. You know what I mean? Like that's not real. <laughs> that's not like you know. <laughs> It is processed. Oh, it is completely, it came off a conveyor belt. It is processed food to make it look like there's bones in it. And I love that. Yeah. I love I love that it's like, look, you're going to eat me? I'm processed. This is not real. Enjoy there, this is, it. Yeah, exactly. Enjoy the <laughs> shit that you are about to ingest. <laughs> God, I love the McRib. I love everything about it. When I used to work at McDonald's back, you know, 40-something years ago, the yeah. McRib. Just when, mainlining McRibs? I was ma- uh, listen, Esmeralda, let me explain <laughs> something to you. The McRib, first of all, it was on the menu all the time. There was no McRib mm-hmm. season. You know what I mean? It wasn't like, Ooh, here it is. Okay. Here it is for two months and it's gone for another year. The McRib yeah. was on the menu the whole, all the time. It was a regular menu item. And basically what you would do was you would cook up the patties, the McRib the patties on the, on the flat top. Okay. Right. You would sear them and flip them and all that stuff, and you would cook so them. So were they no sauce? Wait. Did they have sauce yeah. in them? Yes. You would okay. have a, a heated bin with three containers. Oh, but you, after the fact. After, the, after you cooked them, you'd let them okay. marinate in the sauce. So they would marinate okay. in the heated sauce. And so when someone says, uh, four McRibs, you would toast the bun uh, and then take, get your, get your uh, tongs and take your marinated, which has been marinating in the sauce, Take the patty mm-hmm. out, put it on the bun, put on your onions, put on your pickles, wrap it, and send it out. I'm, I kind of enjoy that. Yeah. It so feels, were... you know, as fake as we're talking about it, that feels more natural. Oh, listen. <laughs> than like a burger. I, it, because you're I getting this nice, it's like marinate in the sauce. It's, and, and it's, it's mar- nice. And, and, and like after you take it off the grill, you're supposed to, it was supposed to be, to, to marinate at least 20 minutes so that the sauce and all that stuff, it was mar- it would marinate. Wait a minute. Wait, so are you making, were you making those ahead of time? Because nobody's yeah. waiting 20 minutes. No, 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 no. That's what I'm saying. You would make them, if, 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 the, if, the, if the bin would run low, like if you were down to two McRibs in the sauce, yeah, you would make more. And when you made those, okay. you would put them in the second fresher bin where the, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. so there's a, there was another, there were three bins. One was usually empty. So t- one was full, and then when that one would run down, you would put the new McRibs in the sauce that's been heated already, and then let that yeah. marinate. And oh then what God. I would do was I would always take a th- the third one that was empty, and whenever I worked on my eight-hour shift or whatever, mm-hmm. <laughs> I would take the third bin, the little, the, you know, the, the bin, and uh, the container, and I would fill it up with sauce and let that thing, and then I would cook a bunch of patties and rip them up into pieces. And then mm-hmm. drop them, drop them into the middle bin, and that would be where I would just reach in and grab little pieces of McRib all week, all day. <laughs> oh my god, that sounds terrible. That's so, so would, much. Oh my god. So there would be. You're just like be, mm, snacky time. Like, exactly, and I would just get the tongs and I would pull out a piece of McRib oh out of the mid. The middle bin, the middle bin, the middle McRib bin was Nick's bin. So the other side was for the customers. Wow. One. 
One you would fill up with the McRib, one you would let marinate and serve, and the one in the middle were all of the torn up pieces of McRib, chunks of McRib, that were mm-hmm. marinating for me to stick my tongs in and eat during the course. Oh and, and, and I would eat pounds of McRib. And this, of course, Jesus. was you know, right under the manager's nose. I would just be like, I'm glad just well. eating McRib all day. <laughs> um, so that means, so does it like, the more it's marinated, would it be tastier? Yeah, and you would, you, I think, and you would stir it. And and I, I can't remember what the time was. Like there, there was a time limit. So you'd be like, like give was... me one of them old McRibs, right? I want but the I think ones there was marinating a... for a while. Yeah, I want the ones that have been marinating since June. You know what I mean? Like that. Yeah. that... <laughs> oh god. Um, and they would keep and it. You're like just the... fishing them out. Yeah, you would fishing you would... them out of the sauce. Ugh. You would take you would take the cool. patty out <laughs> and put it on the bun. But the but the chunks I would have to fish for because I would break them up into bite sized pieces. Because I didn't want to pull out a full McRib and take a bite and drop it back in. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's unsanitary. No, it's not. It's unsanitary. <laughs> completely, completely. So if I, want to, if I want to cheat the company and eat McRibs at their expense, I'm not going <laughs> to. I love that you did have the forethought. Like, oh, yeah. I should rip them up because then oh, I have yeah. little bite-sized pieces. Oh, yeah, yeah. Actually, you know, who's, you know, who, actually, you know uh, who came? Who, we, uh, that, was a, that was a dual uh, uh, thought process. You know who was, the, who, who, was my, who was my cohort in that, Esmeralda? Who was that? Hey, listen, Joe. Of course. <laughs> like, listen, we got to eat some more of these goddamn McRibs. Uh, and I'm like, listen, why don't we, here's what we do. We'll cook, we'll cook a bunch of them and like tear them into chunks and throw them in the third bin with the sauce. He's like, that's a goddamn great idea. Let's do it now. You know? So, so Joe did, and I'd be- Just well, you two? Yeah. Were you the only well, two no, other eating people- off out of this? No, I mean, obviously, you know, other people that were working with us would catch on, but we're the ones who instigated it. We're the ones who... Right. <laughs> we're the so ones who people basically... people would just come back there and yeah. be like, hey, can I get a McRib piece? <laughs> can I get a chunk of the Joe and Nick bin of the McRibs? Like, yeah, oh, go ahead. Hey, listen, don't take too many, asshole, because they're for us. You know, like he my Joe would... <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, I love it. I love it. Oh wow! I'm not kidding. <laughs> so I, I, good. It's that we would have the there was the that was the Nick bin, and then Joe would be like, "Listen, uh, uh, I got I made up about five uh, five more McRibs, ripped them up, they're all set. Let's go." You know what I mean? Then we'd just walk <laughs> around and eat them all day. Now, did you do that with anything else? No, just, just the, McRib. the McRibs. Oh yeah, just the well, McRibs. Well, we would like when we would go on break because when you when you know obviously you get a meal when you go on break, you know. Right. Uh, and uh, so what we would do is like for break, we, <laughs> we, Joe and I would, Joe and I were the worst because we were just like, we cost that company, well, whatever, that, that particular franchise on Irving and Major, right west of Central, yeah, uh, a lot of money because we ate all kinds of shit. We ate all the time. <laughs> we, we fucking ate everything. Oh, goodness. Um, and then sometimes, <laughs> sometimes, you know, at the end of the night, we would get close to like 11, close, the store closed at 11, so we'd get close to 11 o'clock, and suddenly we'd go, listen, let's just cook a bunch of shit and put it in the bin, because you have to like throw it out at the end of the night. So we would just oh, like cook I it. Oh, I see. And at the end of the night- And then your eat. bin was just a bag that you collected. That would be the stuff. No, the food? you know, ultimately, yeah, we would, oh yeah, we would collect it all. Like I would cook fresh quarter pounders at the end of the night, like 10 to 11. And then we'd, we'd close up, clean the place, wow. and then we'd go to for, the Forest Preserve <laughs> off of Foster- <laughs> Drink beer and eat McDonald's till two o'clock in the morning. That's that's, that's oh my god. 
How are you not like a thousand pounds, man? I don't, I don't know. Goodness gracious. It's Thank it's God for that metabolism. It's the metabolism. The metabolism. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's all catching up to me now. I'm a fat fuck Jesus. now. But, it, but uh, no, I'm, it, all ca- it all catches up to you at some point. I mean, it did. I am That's a fat so fuck so many now. McRibs. Oh, McRibs, man. So and much McRib but, meat. But when we went to, when we would go on break, Esmeralda, this is the best. We would go on break. And Joe would be like, listen, uh, do you want for your break, would you like me to make you uh, the Donatello special? Because his name oh, is Joe God. Donatello. And I'm like, oh, yeah, please, make what? me the Joe Donatello special. Okay. And it was. <laughs> <laughs> and this was like not during breakfast hours. This would be, you know, like in the evening or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so he would go to the go to the freezer and he would pull out hash browns, which were not cooking mm-hmm. after like 10 a.m., you know. Right. Because we all loved hash browns. He would go and grab a bunch of hash browns. He would deep fry them and melt cheese on them. He would stick them in the he would stick them in the bun, in the toaster oh and he'd melt God. cheese yeah. over them. And then I would we would make Big Macs, your regular Big Macs, but instead of the Big Mac uh, hamburger meat, we would use the quarter mm-hmm. pounders. So we would have the quarter pounder patties for the Big Mac. Wow. You guys were hacking the menu way oh, before yeah. all these like oh, yeah. You know how McDonald's has like the sweetie yeah. meal and the the yeah. whoever like rapper guy or other art the BTS meal that they do. And isn't, you guys yeah. were doing it way before. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. No 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 no. And and then they and they do have that. Esmeralda, have you ever done the secret meal? Have you ever gone to a fast food place and say I want this special? Have you ever done that? No, I just. I mean, okay. Well, In and Out. When I've been there in California, mm-hmm. you'll get. I'll ask for like the animal style. Right. But. I've only only there. I I usually I just I just stick to some chicken nuggies at the McDonald's right. <laughs> or a burger, right. and that's it. Well, I don't. I've, I don't I've mess never done. With the, it. I've never because I know it exists. Like you can go up and go. Well, I want the special menu, blah blah thing, and I and right. I get, I get you know, and I've never done that. But but hell, I mean, you know. I still. I also money. feel I bad. Owe, I, yeah. I also feel bad for the people who work there. Like, uh, I don't want to well, subject them to. Right. That's all. And seriously, Esmeralda, well, that's ultimately why I would never do it. Like, I don't want to fuck yeah. with the people that are working there. You know what I mean? It's you know, I, I'm going to be a pain in the ass. Just have a burger and shut up. You know what I mean? Yeah. A lot of people do it for Starbucks. I know. There's, I can't. Um, a lot of secret menu items. And I, you gotta, I can't and it's imagine. Just like, I feel bad for those people. Seriously, Esmeralda, <laughs> can you imagine being a barista <laughs> at uh, at Starbucks? I I, I could even... never. Well, that's why I never, I never even tried to do it because I'm like, I don't have the memory capacity to be remembering yeah. people's macchiato, half calf, decaf, whatever, yeah. cow milk, oat, whatever the hell. <laughs> like, no, I would be messing up all the time. I couldn't. Well, do I would it. just be like, I would pour a cup of black coffee and go fuck off and just give it to them. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure yeah. you would last a long time at the Starbucks. <laughs> I, yeah. No, I, exactly. <laughs> I want the half cup, half put, beef fluff, flu fluff, and I'm like, fuck off. Here's a it's black, like, uh, cup of black coffee. Like, get the hell, get out. Yeah. Like, even when I go there, I'm just like, a latte? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Iced uh, coffee with milk. I, I Thank you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not, you're not, ultimately what people are like, oh, I, I went for coffee this morning. No, you went for fucking dessert is what you did. That's what yeah, you that did. Yeah, that too. Boom. It's just ridiculous. It's not like I had the half cup live with the super whipped cream and the blah, blah, but shut up. Like, I okay. I was at, um, at, I was at, uh, I was down at the studio a few weeks ago for Cochran Show, okay, of which mm-hmm. I appear uh, every other Friday on the Steve Cochran Show, mm-hmm. which you should yes. listen to, WLS AM 890, produced by Tom Hush, uh, who just got married to the lovely Lauren. Um, and they, <laughs> I was there one time when Steve was like, I'll treat everybody to Starbucks or I'll treat everybody to, co- to coffee. And so they sent out someone to, with the list. And mm-hmm. the li- I felt so bad for the person who was going to Starbucks because I was like, 
Because they were all like, I'll have the triple half decaf blaf blaf blue. And I'm like, what the fuck? You know, just oh, get a cup of coffee. You don't have to just give, give, Yeah, you, the most I do is I change the milk. <laughs> like, do it. you have almond milk? Thank right. you. <laughs> that's it. And that's not too much of a it's hassle. Like, but I, yeah. It's like my tummy can't take regular. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I understand. But no, we used to, I, I'm serious. Like, you know, for, for break, the Don, Don, Donatello special, quarter pounder patties instead of regular patties on your, so it was a, it was a, it was a Big Mac with quarter pounder patties and uh, melted cheese over hash browns. I mean, people do that. Yeah. I think I think people have been ripping off the Donatello special. <laughs> I think so. Because I think I've seen stuff with that. Well, okay, so they do the Krispy Kreme, the, you know, Luther Van right. Burger. Right, which is delicious, um, which is fucking delicious. Have you ever had it? Have you ever no, had it? But oh. No, because I don't need a heart attack. Oh, <laughs> my God. It's delicious, which for people who might not know, it's a it's like a bacon cheeseburger uh, served on a glazed donut, on a... On a yeah. Uh, a, a crispy. It's so, oh my God, Esmeralda. It's fucking amazing. Oh, I'm sure it's, it's the most amazing oh. thing you've ever eaten. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. what did Luther Vandross die of? Well, like, exactly. <laughs> no, I understand. I understand. But it, lit- it is literally, you know, I mean, we can go right back to the, to the, to the meme of, uh, of Homer Simpson. <laughs> That's exactly yeah. what it is. That's exactly. Oh, what yeah. It is. But yeah, I no, would Joe- like to eat that after working out. Like, I would want to get into like peak physical shape. Yeah. And then eat it. Yeah. Because well, then I would, it would be bad. Yeah. I would just Maybe? like to eat it. Like I, just... I like any time. But, but no, yeah. So we used to, we used to, but, but yeah, the McRib was the best because you, you used to, the chunks of McRib, that bin was made just oh for the little God. bites of McRib that I would eat constantly throughout the seven or eight hours I was working. I was eating nothing but McRib Good pieces. Oh, Lord. And just also, your salt intake. Like, what does also, that, I would have loved to have seen what that looked like. Also, the, the McNuggets, and I don't know if this is the case anymore, the McNuggets used to be kept in drawers. Mm. So you would, you would dump the McNuggets in, in a heated, and they were hot? A bin, yeah, oh, like, a, like, okay. a, like, a, like an oven, like a warming oven. And then you would mm-hmm. pull the drawer, and there was a, you know, like a, on the bottom of the drawer was like a grate so that the crumbs would fall down. Yeah. And then you would pull out your McNuggets for a six-piece or a nine-piece or a 20-piece or whatever. But they were kept in a heating like an oven to keep them warm, but you would pull the drawers out. And I can't tell you there was one drawer that was for us. Like we would pull the, <laughs> pull the nugget, wow. pull the drawer out and there would be no, we would eat nuggets and McRib pieces all day long. I mean, I would be right there with you. <laughs> and then, yeah. And then we'd go and drink uh, at the forest preserve. We would drink booze at the forest preserve in the middle of nowhere at 11 o'clock at night, eating uh, burgers that we had just made at, at Burger King. And then me and my 22 year old manager would go off in the woods and make out. So there you go. <laughs> <sighs> so, that's mm-hmm. my life that's my teenage life right there in a nutshell yes. so, uh, yeah has, i will has... say though that uh that uh, mcdonald's chicken nuggets are far less superior to wendy's well i personally think that mcdonald's chicken nuggets although they're 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 legendary and by the way i worked at mcdonald's when they launched I was at McDonald's when the because really? yeah when when the McNuggets were new and here's how big a deal it was when they launched Esmeralda, they mm-hmm. actually I want to say it was 1982. They actually had a tent at Taste of Chicago just serving McNuggets. That's I mean, how people know what McNuggets are, right? No, they like, didn't then. They did not. They no, were but brand like, new. There wasn't just chicken nuggets like no, in in the not, world. Not in fast food places, no. And like not, it oh, wasn't okay. now. Now and no, I don't even think it was a thing then. I mean, it might have been really? maybe, 
But no, so I mean, it you, didn't become, a, you know, like Chicken McNuggets, as they are now, they're a staple on every kid's menu at every restaurant in the world. Mm-hmm. Every fast food mm-hmm. place has nuggets. There are frozen nuggets. Chicken nuggets are obviously a massive thing. They weren't 40 years ago. They were not. They weren't even a thing, and no fast food places had them. McDonald's was the first one, and I'm telling you, my girlfriend, who was the manager of McDonald's at that <laughs> point, she was working uh, the the, uh, the the at Taste of Chicago one night when I went down to meet her, and mm-hmm. you couldn't. The line was nine miles long to get fucking nuggets. I mean, yeah, yeah. Chicken nuggets are delicious, and yeah. even and when you don't know what they are, and you're just like, oh, little fried chicken bits. Yeah, like come on. Yep. No, no, no. It was. Uh, it, it. I was there at the begin at the birthing of the chicken McNugget. I was. <laughs> I was working at McDonald's, and it was such a big deal. You oh, couldn't keep goodness. them on the shelf. Those drawers were empty. Those drawers that were supposed to be filled with uh, nuggets, empty. Not from yeah. just eating them either. <laughs> and there's another thing that we used to do as Uh You know, one of the things that was what what are what's one of the things that McDonald's fillet of fish. What's one of the special things about the McDonald's filet of fish? Uh, Is there anything that pops out for you? Um, the breading. Well, no. With well, the you mean the breading uh, on the well, fish? Yeah. Not 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 so know. much. It's oh, the I'm, mayo? No, because it's not mayo. It's, or it's tartar sauce. Yeah, it's tartar sauce. And by the way, uh, those were uh, like uh, you know mayonnaise, um, uh, uh, Big Mac sauce, and tartar sauce were all in like caulk guns. You would put a tube in mm-hmm. and squirt it out, and we used. <laughs> nice. And I'll tell you something. Tartar sauce carries the most across the room. That's oh, the one God. that when you're when you're having fights, <laughs> tartar sauce carries the farthest across the room. Just... Jesus. <laughs> Do you hear that, kids? If you're yeah. working at the McDonald's and they still I, got the guns. I don't know if they do. I mean, look, this was 40 years ago. And and so, yes, Esmeralda, to, to, the, the, the thing that you're picturing, utter chaos working at McDonald's. Eating McRib pieces, shooting tartar sauce at wow. each other, slamming shit around, <laughs> going into the cooler, you know. Um, but anyway... Uh, no, for me, it's the steamed bun because it's the only sandwich that you get at McDonald's where the bun is steamed, not toasted. Really? Yeah. I haven't steamed. eaten. I haven't eaten one in a minute. And but, um, but yeah, I don't huh. know if that's the ca- again. I don't know if that's the case now because it's so different. But back then, there was a steamer, a bun steamer, but it was specifically next to the fryer where you would do the um, the fillet of fish because mm-hmm. that's the only buns that would be steamed but i loved steamed buns so i would steam my buns for when i would go on break i would steam my buns <laughs> no pun intended whatever <laughs> whatever that means <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so apparently someone has uh posted someone asked a mcdonald's worker yeah uh to show them how a fillet of fish is made and yeah, they put the fillet of fish bun into a steamer. A steamer, yeah. And it was so it's so good. The steaming yeah. is so good. And then sometimes like you'd forget, you would leave the bun in there cuz it, it you'd press a button and it would steam, it would go for like maybe 15 seconds or something, it would steam the bun 15 30 seconds or something. Sometimes mm-hmm. you'd forget and then you'd go, "Oh shit." And you'd pull it out and the heart and the bun would be all hard. And then you know what you do? Oh. You know what you do? What's that? Just steam it again. Push it right back in and press. <laughs> <laughs> Look at you. Look <laughs> genius. <laughs> it's, it's, who cares if the bun has been sitting there for, you know, for for for, for like two if you didn't have any fillet of fish, you know, the, but the fillet of fish was only incredibly popular during Lent. That was the only time it was yeah. like off the shelf. Outside of that, you'd bear, you you maybe keep one in the bin or two. 
Mm, okay. You know, it's a, you know, and now in this in this article where they're talking about the TikTok, they say that they only put half a slice of cheese. Yep, half a slice of was cheese. Was that right true? In. Oh, the, oh yep. okay. Oh, half wow. Half a slice of cheese so it doesn't melt over and it doesn't overpower the fish. You only want a little bit of cheese. And oh one, dollop of, one dollop of one dollop of uh, tartar sauce, and that's it. Steamed bun, the, the fish patty, half a slice of cheese, and a dollop of, uh, of uh, tartar sauce. Wow. And the rest McDonald's of the tartar sauce. still still keeping it. Well, you know, the <laughs> filet of fish is a classic. Day. It's a classic. The filet of fish is a fucking classic. I mean, you can't, don't mess mm-hmm. with it, you know. But, and then the rest of the tartar sauce was to, to squirt at the girl that you had a crush on up front who was working sure. the Sure, yep. So there you go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Listen, we have to do a taste test, speaking of food. Are you ready? Yes, yeah. Well, let's explain explain what we're going to eat. The first thing we're going to eat, and by the way, again, thanks to our, our subscriber, Deanna, who sent us a crap load of snacks and candy directly from Japan. These are full-on Japanese yes. products, and we have to translate them through our Google lens in order to find out what they are, because I can't Yes. Know. Very so, exciting, though. What's the first? You looked up the first one we're going to eat is the corn cracker umambo. Yeah, so uh, so that is um, 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 umaibo, I believe. Umaibo. It is. It uh, translates to delicious stick. <laughs> <laughs> so this is a small puffed corn snack. Okay. And they come in different flavors, and they have this great packaging with this character. Yeah. Uh, the named. Um, Umeiman, okay, I believe. Okay, and he looks very. He's an alien. <laughs> yeah, he's an alien. Uh, he's a he's a little alien, and he just dresses up in little outfits. And in this one, uh, what we're about to eat, which I guess is a corn cracker, what we're about mm-hmm. to eat, he's dressed up in like judo gi, so he's ready to go. He's ready to to to, and it looks like he's eating a shish kebab. He's going to shove a shish kebab in his face. Yes, and I don't know what. And that then is. so they have. They have different flavors. They have a lot of different flavors. Yeah. And we're, I believe, eating, what did corn. you say we were going to eat? Corn cracker flavor. No, I know, but what's the flavor? That's what it says, corn uh, yakitori. Okay. Uh, yakitori. Um, I don't know what that is, but let's try it. Um. Yeah. It looks like a sausage. <laughs> they, have a du- they have a bunch of different flavors. There's like chocolate and a pizza, beef yeah. tongue. <laughs> I oh, don't boy. know what that one tastes like. I would but... love the beef tongue. I would eat that. All right. All right so let's it's, try it. It's like a toasty red looking thing. So, yeah, it is like a big old cheese or a corn mm. stick. Oh. Okay. It's weird. Mm. The glaze on the outside has kind of a sweet aftertaste to it. Mm hmm. So, yakitori. Mm. Oh, it's good. Ooh. Oh, it's good. It sounds like a barbecue. Mm-hmm. Barbecue-y. It's like a... Mm. Um, it's like a... It's, um, I want to say sort of a barbecue... You know a barbecued pork that you get with Asian mm-hmm. restaurants? Yes. It's like a yeah, barbecued yeah, yeah. pork, but it's corn. It's really good. The glaze on the outside is delicious, and it's hollow. It's got yeah. a hole in the middle of it. Mm. It's delicious. So apparently it's... Oh, man. Um, it's, it's, it's essentially like a national snack in Japan, Kids, and then it, this is something that adults eat with, like, a drink. They'll have it with a drink, which makes sense because it's, like, salty. God, it's good. It's really good. And they say it only costs about 10 yen, mm-hmm. which in U.S. it's, like, 72 cents, which makes it's sense. They're, like, little, it's little sticks. <laughs> it is. It's, like, a little – and the glaze on the outside is kind of sticky. It looks like a sausage. It's, like, a tube, and it's mm-hmm. corn puff kind of mm. texture. But the outside mm-hmm. is like very barbecue pork 
flavored kind of a thing. It's mm. really good. This is super good. Mm. Yeah. All right. I love this flavor. Yeah. Mm. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> okay. I'm... Yummy. All right. Well, um, mm. and then the other thing <laughs> is very simple. It's Pokemon. We have a little mm-hmm. Pokemon dude. And this is Pokemon gum. And my, okay. my translator said that this is Pokemon gum and this is cola flavored gum. So I guess it's going to taste Ooh. like cola. And it's got Let's the little Pokemon. Like. It's got the little Pokemon dude on it. What's this? Pikachu. Yes, 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 okay. yes. Well, it's right, little so Pikachu. It's weird. Are you, have you looked at this? It's like brown. So it it's, look- yeah. And then it's like two little like humps. So I guess right. you would break it up and maybe share with a friend. Okay. It smells, it does smell like cola. It does. It smells like, um, like knockoff cola. Yeah. It's weird. Oh. oh. Hmm. That doesn't taste like cola, though. Well, once you... No, a wait, bit? wait, wait a little bit, Esmeralda. Wait, let it be in your mouth for a little bit. Oh, God, that's going to be an out of context right there. <laughs> it's like sour yeah. a little. Yeah. It takes a little but while. This- once you... It's it's mm. got a weird it's got a weird consistency for gum. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's a mm. little cola. It, I think it tastes more like mm-hmm. Pikachu. I think it tastes more like Pikachu <laughs> than cola. I think Even we're eating, eating rotisserie Pikachus. I, I think we're eating rotisserie <laughs> Pikachu right now. I, 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 mm. So mm. I like that. Yeah, it's not bad. So the Pikachu, Pokemon cola gum, pretty good. But mm-hmm. this. Um, Umabo corn cracker barbecue glaze snack is fantastic. That is like Ooh, fantastic. Yeah. I want all the flavors. Yeah. God, it's so, so good. So they I have um, vegetable salad, chicken curry, teriyaki mm. burger, cheese. Um, we have to get all Corn potage. I don't know what that is. I think that's like cheesy yeah. corn. Well, we have to get all of them. Well, yeah. That's, that's it. So, all right. Well, there you go. The, the two more fun items from uh, Japan. We'll taste test more uh, the next time on, uh, on, uh, on the Tuesday show. By the way, Tuesday show, Dan mm-hmm. Feinberg will be back with us um, to Ooh, talk nice. TV. Hollywood Reporter, fineprint.com. My thanks to Eric Childress and Steve Procopi for uh, reviewing some big movies. Uh, and Esmeralda, thank you. Thanks to Deanna for sending us all the lovely thank treats you. from Japan. Uh, Jason Skaggs for all the music. Uh, Ed Silla and everybody from uh, Radio Misfits. Um, and be a sponsor on our podcast, sales at radiomisfits.com. Just uh, buy some ads. Leave your voicemail at 773-417-6948 and drop us an email at nickdpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, everybody have a great uh, weekend if you're listening to us on a weekend. If not, uh, have a great day. And uh, episode 93 coming up on Tuesday of the Nick D Podcast. Thanks, everybody. Thank you.